Howdy. How y'all doing tonight? That's, I'm actually going to put on this size. I don't fall on my face. What's up? What's up? Well, uh, dude, I love that song. Goodness gracious. It gets me every time. You know when I get to that song where it's like, the mountains shake before me, the demons run. I'm just like, yeah, baby, let's go. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's awesome. Uh, listen, we're in, the, we're in the third week this week on our uh, how-to series. And uh, the first week we talked about how to pray and, and, and kind of what does that look like and the fact that Jesus tells us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. And we kind of walked through that passage. If you wasn't here a couple weeks ago and you want to know how to pray and you want to kind of learn a little bit about that, all of our messages, all of our sermons are posted on our website, on our podcast, and you can download them from iTunes and listen to those messages and hear them every message that we've done uh, for forever. So you can go in there and check that out. And then last week we talked about how to read the Bible. And we talked about the fact that the Bible's not boring and people think that it's boring. And a big reason is because they don't know how to read the Bible. They don't know where to begin. They don't know how to start. And, and when they do, when they read it, it's like, And Jesus went to the land of Bethany. And then he... And that's how we read the Bible. And last week I showed you guys how I read the Bible and how you know, I use all of my senses and I use everything as I just pour into the Scriptures. And I tried to put myself in the place of the disciples in the story last week of the feeding of the 5,000 and kind of walk through this journey of what it must have been like for the disciples in that picture. And then we walk through Jesus and what it must have been like for Jesus and what it must have been like for Philip and Andrew who, Andrew who found the boy. And we talked about the boy, the little red-headed guy. You know, his name was Grant. And we talked about him. And uh, and uh, love you, bud. I love you. And uh, and so you know, we kind of went through this whole story, this whole journey, and and looked at the scriptures and kind of saw how that is. And tonight, I'm going to talk to you guys about how to study the Bible. Now, there's a sheet of paper on your chair, and hopefully, you got a pen there as well that you can use for tonight to take some extra notes on this piece of paper. And I gave these out last week as well. This is a good thing to fold and have, stick in your Bible. Use this as a guide in order to study the Bible and learn how to, to get a little deeper. I'm not going to cover all the content that's on that paper because what's on that paper is, is kind of speaks for itself. I want to take it a little deeper tonight so that you can have a little extra tools. And so you'll need that piece of paper to make some notes about some of these extra things that you can use to study the Bible. Now the first thing you need to know about studying the Bible is it's important that you get to the context of Scripture. Context is everything. When people come to me and they say, hey man, I got this question about this Bible verse, it kind of looks like it's contradictory here and all this kind of stuff, or this, this doesn't make sense to me, or, or whatever, a lot of times it's because they don't understand the context of what's going on in the pas passage, and context is everything. In order to understand what's going on in every passage in Scripture, you must understand what the context of that Scripture is. Like, for example, there's a verse in the Bible that says, there is no God. And you say, well, that makes no sense. Derek, we know clearly that the Bible talks about there being a God all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament. Contradiction, but in context it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. See, what happens is sometimes we take Scripture out of context because we don't read what's before it. We don't understand the passages and what surrounds it, and we also don't understand what's ahead of it. And you need to understand the Scripture, kind of the scope of what everything looks like in the Scripture in order to understand it in its totality. 
And that's why it's important for us to study the Bible. That's why it's important for us to get in God's Word so God can speak in our hearts, so God can change our lives by His Word because this is what God has given us. It's His revelation to us, for us in our lives, not only for us to live our lives, but also to reveal who He is so that we can give glory and honor to His name. This is what He's given us. And tonight I want to I want to peek into a passage in Matthew chapter 3 and before I get there I really want to I really want to give you guys some tools some tools of context to help you get to the context of things. Now there are many tools of context. Tonight I want to focus on four four of what I believe maybe are the the most important ones of this and to kind of put this whole thing in perspective for you to help you understand context um, next not next week tomorrow I'm getting on a plane tomorrow morning I'm flying to Washington, D.C. I'm driving up three hours into the mountains because I'm doing a wedding. And they've put me in this really sweet, pent, nasty, awesome cabin up in the mountains. And, and I wish my wife was going because they said it's got a heart-shaped jacuzzi in my room. You know what I'm saying? And I, dude, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm putting some bubbles in that thing. You call me girly, whatever. I'm getting in that hot tub, and I'm just going to be chilling up in there. I mean, and it's nice, and I can't wait, man. I can't wait for this weekend just to be relaxing up there and doing this wedding and being a part of it. And so tomorrow I get on a plane, and, and so, so I got a plane, a picture of a plane up here. Maybe. Oh, it's a little blurry. But I got a picture of a plane up here. I just want to write down a few things. What are, what are some of the things, when you see that, when you see a plane, what are some of the things you think of when you see a plane? Flying. All right, where are you flying to? Who's flying? Who's flying? Where are you flying to? Where? Oh, you're flying to Nicaragua. Yes, we're going on a missions trip next week to Nicaragua. Or not next week, but in a few weeks. Some, sometime. What do you think? What do you think of flying? Where are we going? Canada. Welcome to Canada. It's the Maple Leaf State. Canada, oh, Canada. It's great. All right. And uh, where are you? So we're going to Canada. Who, who's going to the beach? Anybody going to the beach? Oh, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to the Caribbean somewhere where it's hot. I'm laying on the beach. All right, what other things? Plane, we're going, we're going flying. What, what, what other things do you think of? Airplane food. Explosions. Airplane food. Uh, you must be going a long way away because you've got to go a long way to get some airplane food. Um, uh, who thinks of their dad when they think of flying, when they think of planes? Anybody think of their dad? Anybody travel, dad's travel, all this kind of stuff? All right, cool, cool. When we, when we think of flying, when we look at planes, we, we all think of different things. We all think of different stuff. For some of us, it's an exciting thing. For me, tomorrow is going to be exciting just to kind of get away, spread my wings, fly. You know, it's kind of cool when you take off. Who's never flown before? Oh, you're missing out. You're missing out, but you're going to in a couple weeks. Check out this. This is the same plane, and, and I want to put this picture in context. Let's put this picture in context. This is actually This is actually a picture of one of the planes that flew into the towers in at 9/11, September 11, 2001. And what happens is is that sometimes we can see things or picture things in a certain context and we gets our minds thinking about certain things. When I see a plane, I think of travel, I think of vacation, I think of Nicaragua and our missions trip and it's exciting and airplane food. I don't really know how exciting that is, but and I start thinking about all this kind of stuff and it and it gets exciting thinking about it and and then but this picture in context is is I mean, what do you guys think about when you see this picture? What are some things that come to your mind? 
Tragic. Terrorism. Sadness. What else? Death. Fire. Right. Totally different, totally different experience when you put things into context. And here's the deal. This is what happens. When we come to God's Word and we begin to, we begin to read in the Scripture, if we don't understand what's going on around it, if we don't see the big picture, then it's very difficult for us to truly understand what's going on in the Scriptures. And I want to challenge you guys because I think the very first thing we want to talk about in here is understand what's going on around the passage. Understand what's going on around the passage. The first point I want to make about finding context is understand what's going on around it. What I do is when I'm reading through Scripture, I normally start at the beginning of a book and I read through it. Some of you guys, man, you may read the Bible like this. You're like, hmm. All right, let me see what God's going to say to me today. And then the next day you're like, hmm. Let me see what God's going to say to me today. And it's really hard to get to the context of Scripture when you're doing that. In fact, I would deter you from doing that. When you start somewhere and you begin the journey and you begin to read through it, it's easier for you to understand it in the context. And if I'm really going to study a passage in Matthew chapter 3 today, I'm going to read what's going on in Matthew chapter 2 and what's going on in Matthew chapter 4. I want to understand what's going on in the whole book of Matthew. What is the message of Matthew? I want to know what what the whole entire thing is. And And when I do a little study, in fact, you can write this word down on your piece of paper there, commentary. And you can go online, you can go to Google and type in commentary of Matthew. And it'll tell you about the author, it'll tell you about all the background information, all this kind of stuff. And the second thing to find in context is getting to the background information. Understanding what's going on in the background. And so I know that the theme of Matthew, the theme of Matthew is is that it's about Jesus being the king of the Jews. And so Matthew's, Matthew's gospel is written to target the Jewish people of that day. It's meant to share Christ with them. See, the interesting thing is Matthew is the first of the Gospels, but Matthew is not the first Gospel that was written. And so when you get to studying it, you understand that the Bible's not necessarily always in chronological order. Mark was probably, most likely, scholars believe, the first Gospel that was written. So why do you you think they put Matthew first? Because Matthew was written to the Jews. And the reason that's important is, is because the Old Testament is building up, giving us all these prophecies, talking about this one who's to come. And then Matthew starts out on page 1, Matthew chapter 1, telling us the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Telling us where Jesus came from, because the Old Testament told us that Jesus, the Messiah, the one who is to come, will be from the line of David, would be from the seed of David, and that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And when you get through, when you start reading through the end of Matthew chapter 1 and through Matthew chapter 2, you see the story of the birth of Jesus. And in those stories, you see like eight prophecies fulfilled in the first two chapters of the book of Matthew. And we see that he's targeting this audience. He's showing them that, hey, listen, you remember in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, when it, when, when, when it says that, and then there will be one that will be born called Emmanuel, which means God with us. There will be one that will be born of a virgin. That, that's, that, that's, that's Jesus. That's the one we're talking about right here. You remember when, when he said he was going to come through the line of David? Here's the genealogy so you can see that he came through the line of David. And he goes through and he shows us all of these prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus. And so I want to get to the background. I want to understand what's going on. And then I want to study a little bit about the, the author so I can really get to the context of it. And I know that Matthew, Matthew was a, he was a what? A what? He was a disciple. What else was he? 
a tax collector, right? So Matthew was a disciple. He was also a tax collector, and, and Jesus comes, and he's, he's a tax collector, and Jesus asked him to come and follow him, and Matthew left his job as a tax collector, probably ostracized in society, and you can do a little study on what a tax collector is to kind of see the background of Matthew, and you see Matthew following Jesus, and, and he, he goes through the whole journey, and so you realize when you're reading this, when Matthew gets to the end of the book, and he's talking about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I mean, he's talking about a personal, very personal experience, an eyewitness experience of what he has experienced in his life. And you get to context. You can read it, and if you really just pay attention, you can feel the emotion in the text. I mean, this is Jesus, his beloved brother, the one who he served. He's, he was, listen, he was there last week when we were reading about the feeding of the 5,000. He was there. He saw it all happen. And so he's reading this from a, he, he's writing this from a personal standpoint. And it's important for us to understand the context and everything that's going on around it because here's the deal, and this is important, listen to this, because the whole entire Bible is pointing us to Jesus. And I'll tell you, when I read the scriptures, I'm like, hey, listen, how is this pointing me to Christ? Even when you read the first five books of the Old Testament, even when you read in creation, read, read Genesis. I mean, you, get, you start reading through Genesis, you get to Genesis chapter 3, and they're already giving us prophecies about Jesus. Genesis chapter 3, verses 15, we're already seeing prophecies about Jesus, the one who is to come, the one who is to save this world because of our sin, the one who is to undo what Adam and Eve did in the garden by sin. To take this stuff away is context. Another thing, if you want to understand context, is understanding uh, the languages. Is understanding the languages. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament mostly was written in Greek, and there's a couple books that were written in Aramaic, but it's important to understand the languages. And you say, well, listen, Derek, man, I don't know Greek, I don't know Hebrew, I don't know this kind of stuff. I want to give you guys a study tool so sometimes you can get to the background of the text. Because sometimes you can read a text and you're like, you know what, man, that's, that's kind of confusing to me. And I'll give you a perfect example. One of the students in the youth group in here sent me a Facebook message several weeks back. I won't tell you who it is. They're here tonight and they're awesome. And, uh, but this is what happened. I made a comment on the night we were talking about truth. And I was talking about the belt of truth and I, said, and I said, there are some things that I was told growing up that I believed were true that were not true. That are just not true. And I told you, don't just believe something is true because I tell you it's true, because your parents tell you it's true, because your science teacher tells you it's true, because your professor in college one day tells you it's true. Don't believe it's true because they say it's true. Study yourself and find truth. So growing up, man, I believed, I believed that it was wrong to be a biracial couple. I believed it was sinful. Now, I wasn't a Christian until I was 17 years old, but I just grew up in a, you know, a redneck culture of, you know, a bunch of southern people who just, you know, frankly, were just racist. And it wasn't until I got to college and I really started studying God's Word and getting back to the context of things and understanding, dude, the Bible says nothing about that. And I made that comment, and somebody sent me a Facebook message a couple of days later and said, hey, I was talking to one of my friends about you saying that, and they said, oh, your youth pastor is wrong. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and tw through 21, it says in there that there is to be no variance. And those where there is variance, those people will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything because there's no variance. 
what happens is he read the word variance and he said, variance, hmm, that means there can't be any difference. And if there can't be any difference, then that means that if you're black and you're white, you can't marry each other. Or if you're Hispanic and white, you can't marry each other. Or if you're black and you're Hispanic, you can't marry each other because there's variance there. That would be taking the scripture out of context, and I'm going to show you why. I've got a, here's a website for you to write down, blueletterbible.com. Blueletterbible.com. And Galatians 5, 19 through 21, we got here. You click on go to the verse. So he's clicking on go to the verse. We pull it up, and then if you'll go up to Galatians 5, verse 20. Now, if you'll see, it says idolatry, witchcraft, hatreds, variance. See the word right there, variance? No, don't click on that. Go over to the C under 520. Go to the left, C. It says concordance, Hebrew, and Greek lexicon. If you want to know what the language says, click on the C. When he clicks on the C, that's actually the Greek text in which the New Testament was written. Go down to variance right here. And don't click on hatred or variance, but you see right beside variance where it says G2054. Down one more. Right there. Booyah. Click on that. This, this is the Greek word for the word variance. Now, if you will look right here, it says pronunciation. If you go and you do this on your computer, you can click on it. It'll tell you how to say it. And the word is spelled, is, is how you say it is eris. If you go right here to where it says online biblical usage, this is actually what the word means. This is the definition of that Greek word. It means contention, strife, or wrangling. In fact, the NIV translates it properly as discord. Discord or strife. This is being having strife towards one another, discord towards one another, being argumentative with one another. The word that is translated variance actually means that. It doesn't mean anything about biracial couples or this or that or whatever. But what happens is, is that if you don't know how to get the context, you're like, oh, and then for the rest of your life, you're believing things about God's word that just aren't true. And so this is a tool you can use. I hope you write this down, blueletterbible.com. If somebody gives you a question about something and you want to look at the original language, this is the original language. They have manuscripts and copies of manuscripts that they go back to from the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, and you can see what the actual words were and what they really meant in their original language. It's pretty cool, huh? So that's languages. That's the third part. And then the fourth part is uh, the fourth thing I want to tell you about context is it's important for you to understand the difference between the Western mindset and the Eastern mindset. Now, we live in the West. We live in the Western world, and then there's also the Eastern world. And the Eastern mindset and the Western mindset are totally different. For example, the Western mindset is one of doing and, and of, of observation and response. And so we're of doing. The Eastern mindset, and remember, Jesus was in the East. The disciples were in the East. Those who wrote in the Scripture were writing from an Eastern mindset, and you'll see this in a minute why that's important. The Eastern mindset is one of watching and observing and contemplating. I'm going to show you guys a picture of an aquarium. Pop that picture up there. This is what I want you to do as you look at the picture of the aquarium. I want you on your piece of paper right there. I want you on your piece of paper right there to write down to write down what sticks out to you. One thing, the one thing that sticks out to you in this picture. Just write, just write it on your paper. Don't say it out loud. What's the one thing that sticks out to you in this picture? Write on your piece of paper. What's the one thing that sticks out? The first glance you look at this picture, what's the first thing that stuck out to you? All right, you got it? All right, all right, all right. Listen, shh. Raise your hand if you put, like, whale, shark, fish, 
Something like that. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you just didn't do it because you're being a punk. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, raise your hand if you put something different. All right, what'd you put? Lobster. All right, what'd you put? Water. All right, what'd you put? Stingray. All right, you get the idea. Listen. I'm going to give you guys the difference between an Eastern and Western mindset. They did a study, and they took several hundred people from the West. They showed them a picture of an aquarium just like this, and they asked them, what is the first thing that stuck out to, to them? 100% of the people in the West put a fish, a lobster, something that was living in the water. When the Eastern people were asked the same question, like several hundred of them were studied, 100% of them said the rocks, the plants, and the water. 100%. You say, man, that's interesting. Why is that? It's because we think totally different. See, to them, it's about observation. Like, for example, I'll give you another example just to, just to kind of help you wrap your mind around it. Uh, for example, when, when we think about frogs and we think about studying frogs, this is how we study it in the West. We study it based on this, uh, uh, dissection. Right, So we get into the lab and we take a frog and we cut it open and we, we look at it and we say, oh yeah, this is the bladder and the stomach and the, the, the right liver lobe, which is important to know. It's important. And uh, you know, we, we study it. This is how we study the frog and we look at the frog. In the east, what they do is this is how they study the frog. They sit by a pond and they watch it for hours. That's what they do. They contemplate. They observe the frog in its environment, and they see what it eats, and they see what its predators are, and they see that the, the, uh, you know, just all the things that are going on in the pond and, and where it lives and, and, and how it needs to come up for air and why does it need to come up for air and what are the times of the day when it's most active. And, and that's the kind of things that they observe and they look at. They think totally differently. And so when you think about that and you go and you listen to Jesus, and Jesus uses these parables and he uses these picture stories to lay things out, this is why Jesus does it, because Jesus is an Eastern guy. So Jesus says things like, and there was this field with some weed in it. And this guy who was an enemy comes along and he begins to sow these weeds called tares amongst the wheat. And after he sows them amongst the wheat, the wheat and the tares grow up together. And because they look similar to each other, the, the owner didn't realize what had happened until after they had begun to grow. I mean, every single person in the East would have known what he was talking about. They all had land. Agriculture is a big thing in the East. And they would all have understood what it meant to, to, for this stuff to grow. When, when Jesus is talking and he says, hey, listen, there's a sheep. And he wandered away. And his master left the 99 sheep to go and get the one sheep that had wandered away and went astray. Jesus uses these pictures all the time throughout Scripture. And throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see these pictures being drawn in order to help preach through or teach through certain spiritual principles. 
And it's how they observe. It's how they teach. It's how they understand. And this is the difference in the Eastern mindset and the Western mindset. The Westerners, we in the West, we are drawn to the active, the independent, and the free, uh, the free roaming features. Easterners are drawn to the passive and to the unmoving features. So to get to context, we have to understand that there's a different mindset as well we have to think about when we're reading through Scripture. There's an Eastern way we look at it and a Western way we look at it. There's background information we have to look at. Who is the author? Who are they writing it to? See, some of, some of Paul's letters, he writes to individuals. He writes to Timothy. In some of Paul's letters, he writes to the church at Corinth. In some of Paul's letters, he, he, he's, just, he's writing out and not only to the church at, at Philippi, but he's also writing to the church as a whole. And so we have to understand when we're reading the Scriptures, who are they writing it to? Well, who's the recipient? All this kind of stuff. And it helps us really draw out the context of Scripture. Now, if you've got your Bibles open and you want to move over to Matthew chapter 3, I want to read this to you. And this is the story of John the Baptist. And I want to show you a few things to help you pull stuff out of the Scripture. I'm going to show you the things that you can do to study the Scripture. Now, like I said, you can use an online commentary. You can use an online Bible dictionary. Another website that's great to use is BibleGateway.com. In fact, if you come up with a verse in your head and you're like, dude, I know that verse is in there somewhere, like something about a living sacrifice, like pleasing to God or something. I don't know. Like, where's that verse at? All you got to do is go to BibleGateway.com and type in living sacrifice. And Romans 12, 1 through 2 will pop up and you'll see and be able to read that whole passage of Scripture and understand where it's at and understand where, where, what's going on there. So let's read this verse. In Matthew chapter, we're going to read the whole chapter. Listen to this. Now when you study scripture, and you'll see this on your paper as you walk through, this is what I do. When I'm reading through, what I do is I underline people, I underline places. If there are things that are confusing I don't understand, I underline that so I can go back and study and kind of figure out what's going on there. So look what he says. In those days, John the Baptist, I'd underline John the Baptist, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Where's the wilderness of Judea? I don't know. Let's underline that. Saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. Where does it say that in Isaiah? John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Why is that weird? Doesn't everybody eat locusts and wild honey in the first century? What did the other people eat? These are the questions I ask myself. People went out from him to Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Where's the Jordan River at? But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing. Who were the Pharisees and Sadducees? I'd underline this. Coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. What is a winnowing fork? His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will gather his wheat into the, he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now, unless you come to me, unless you baptize me. It is proper for all this to fulfill the righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. 
And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. When you read the story of John the Baptist, there's all kinds of things in context that we have to figure out. And so we see that the birth of Jesus has happened. But if you know anything about the story of John the Baptist, and we talked about this last week, go and see what other books of the Bible here in the Gospels that tell the story of John the Baptist. You go and read John's account, and you go and read Luke's account, and you go and read Mark's account. And what you find out is, is that John is a cousin of Jesus, and he was, his dad is Zechariah, who was a high priest, and his wife, and, and Zechariah's wife, or John the Baptist's mother, is a uh, is Elizabeth, and we see that what happens here in this story is that John the Baptist is actually born before Jesus. Now we see the birth of Jesus before him here, but we see that John the Baptist comes and he's preparing the way for Jesus. And so when you read through here and you start back and you go back and it says, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Well, where's the wilderness of Judea? So let's talk about it. Let's go back to our map from last week, and we've got the Mediterranean Sea. And then we've got what is this? Dead Sea. That's great. What is this right here? Jordan River. Boom. Booyah. What is this right here? Sea of Galilee. That's right. And so during this time, there was, this is the Dead Sea. This is when you're looking at Israel, and this is the Dead Sea, and this is, uh, this is the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River runs in between them here. And then over here, you got like Jerusalem, and uh, you got like Bethlehem's like right under here where this is where Jesus would have been born. And, uh, and so this is kind of what's going on. Now, this is broken up into three different areas. So you got Galilee, the Galilee area, which is up by the Galilee, Gal- Sea of Galilee. And then you've got Samaria which we know about, you know, the Good Samaritan and when the woman at the well was in Samaria. And then you've got Judea. And Jesus would have traveled all up in here. In fact, Matthew starts out with him being in Bethlehem, then being born. Herod, who's in Jerusalem, sends, uh, sends uh, some soldiers down to kill all the babies who are two and under under Bethlehem. An angel comes to Joseph in a dream and tells him to escape to Egypt. So they dip out and they head to Egypt because Egypt's right down here. Let me just go ahead and draw Egypt right here. This is the waters that come out. And, uh, the, and, so, and so Egypt's down here. And so they escape and go to Egypt. And then after Herod dies, they come back up. But he says, hey, don't go to Jerusalem because that's where uh, Herod's, Herod's brother is now. And so go on up here to, to Nazareth and hang out by Nazareth, which is up by the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is where Jesus called all of his disciples, all this kind of stuff. So this is important for you to understand and see the map. And so when you go back to the story and you read, he says, he says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Where are they at? Judea, right here, right? And the wilderness of Judea is, is kind of over here by the, by the Dead Sea. It's straight up wilderness. I'll show you a little bit uh, about that here in a second. And he came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. If you go do a little study and maybe in some of your Bibles down at the bottom, it'll tell you that this is from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. A voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. The, the regular food of people during this day was, was breads and vegetables and fruits. They very rarely ate meat, but when they did eat meat, most of the time they ate fish. And so you can kind of break in and study some of that kind of stuff and see what kind of food people ate during the first century, during this time. And it says, and people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole area of the Jordan, confessing their sins and were baptized to him. So all all these people from Jerusalem and Judea, from all the areas of it, came over to this area to be baptized by John. Now the interesting thing is when you read the account in the book of John, John tells us, this isn't John the Baptist, this is John the Apostle. John the Apostle tells us about John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist, many people mistaked him for Elijah. You say, well, who's Elijah? 
So you can go back to the Old Testament, and you can read about Elijah and kind of see the parallels between John the Baptist and Elijah. In fact, i got a video I want to show you guys that I think would just be appropriate to show you a little bit of the parallels about John the Baptist, and you will get to see a picture of the wilderness of Judea to understand the picture in which Jesus was baptized. To a Jew, Elijah is the ultimate in passion. So this must have been a fiery person right from birth because he was going to be in that spirit and in that power. Have you ever thought about where John baptized? Now the obvious one is in the water, but what water? Well the text says he baptized all around the Jordan. So it must have been lots of places. But there are three places mentioned in the Bible. One is at a place called Bethany beyond the Jordan. They debate that. I think most likely it's up way up north by the Sea of Galilee in the Wadi there, in Batanea, the province of Batanea, because in John's Gospel he calls Bethany beyond the Jordan an area, not a village. So the first place I believe that's mentioned is way up there. Now that's not the place Jesus was baptized. That's where John saw Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And then he said, I saw the Spirit descend on him. In other words, it's in the past already. There's a second place John is baptizing, which is discussed, is at a place called Enon near Salem. It's about halfway from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. Jesus is not baptized there either. The third place that is mentioned is right over here. Now there is a new archaeological excavation that claims to be the place. If you look right here at the north end of the Dead Sea, you can see where the Jordan River runs. It's that dark line of trees that kind of snakes away from us. Just to the right of it, a little bit up on a hill, by a spring that runs as a tributary into the Jordan. That may very well be the place. In other words, John wasn't baptizing in the river proper, but in a small tributary that they would have thought of as part of the Jordan. And that is where Jesus was baptized, whether it's at that exact location that they think maybe or not, it's somewhere here. Now what makes that intriguing is that those are three Elijah spots. The one up by the Sea of Galilee is where Elijah hid in a cave and God fed him with ravens, if you remember. The Anon near Salem place is where Elijah called Elisha, at Avalmahola, they call it. Here is the place where the chariot came and Elijah made his ascent to heaven and Elisha took over for him. That's here. So it's as if the Bible wants to say, do you catch that this guy's Elijah? Now, most of us never even look on a map where he might be baptized. We never even think about it that way. But I think John is saying, I'm Elijah, so I'm going to go to Elijah places. Now here's the interesting thing about that. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River down here by the, by the Dead Sea. 
When you go to Matthew chapter 4, and this is the importance of understanding all the passages around it, this is Matthew chapter 3. When you get to Matthew chapter 4, we see that Jesus now goes out into the wilderness, and Matthew chapter 4 is the story of where Satan tempts Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, the tempter came to him, and he began to tempt him. And, and he, said, he said, if you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, for it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Satan takes him up to the highest point of the temple, and he, he, says, he says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourselves down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in your hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus says, for it is also written, do not put your Lord your God to the test. And then the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 that he takes him up to, the high, to this high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and says, if you bow down and worship me, all this I will give you. Jesus says, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God alone. Where does that take place? It takes place right after the baptism. Jesus goes down in the wilderness of Judea over by the, by the Dead Sea. And this is, you saw the terrain. It's just desert. It's just rock and desert. And this is where Jesus was tempted by Satan right after his baptism. And so as you read through the scriptures here, you see, you see this picture unfolding of all the people that are happening. And he mentions the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that come to him. The Pharisees, if you do a little study on them, they are actually the ones who the modern day Judaism uh, extends from. The Sadducees, we see no record of the Sadducees. We have no writings of the Sadducees after uh, pretty much at all. But we see no record of the Sadducees after AD 70 at the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees, they made up this group called the Sanhedrin. Seventy-one were chosen from the Pharisees and the Sadducees to make up the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was, was this supreme court of sorts that would judge law and judge all this kind of stuff. And the Sanhedrin is mentioned all throughout the New Testament. The Sanhedrin, uh, the, the disciples are brought before the Sanhedrin many times. Peter and, and uh, John are brought before the Sanhedrin and beaten and told never to speak in Jesus' name again and so on and so on. We see the Sanhedrin playing an important role. But the Sadducees and Pharisees believe two different things. The Pharisees believed the scriptures of the Old Testament, not only the Mosaic law or the law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, but also the oral law and the prophets, and, and they believed some of the interpretations of it and that kind of stuff. They believe in the resurrection of the dead, and you see this later on because Jesus pins the Pharisees against the Sadducees one time when he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. They're both coming together to attack Jesus. Jesus starts talking about the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees go, yeah, right on, brother, and the Sadducees go, no, that's not true, and they start arguing with each other, and Jesus just kind of sneaks on out. Jesus was pretty smooth. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were different in that way. The Sadducees were much more political and, and all this kind of stuff. And you say, man, like how do, how do you get this stuff? Well, man, you're reading your Bible when you come to something and you don't understand it. Dude, Google it. Go to, a, go to, to Bible commentary and, and look it up. Check it out. See what's going on. Understand what's going on in the context of Scripture because when you do that, the Scriptures really come alive to you. If you want to know how to study God's Word, listen, this is what I'm telling you right now, dude. They would tell you this in a seminary class studying to be a pastor. 
And I'm telling you guys this because I think it's cool. And I think it's important to study God's Word and get the most out of it. And if you do it, like I said last week, and you use this as a guide and use all your senses when you're reading it and you try to figure out what's going on and you look at the terrain of how things are, are happening and you kind of feel, you know, you see where, where things are taking place and you see the journeys that they're going on and you kind of feel like everything that's going on. Man, the Scriptures begin to come alive and you start enjoying studying it. And you're like, oh man, this makes sense. This is really cool. And this, and this, this is awesome, man. Like I really understand how this goes. And sometimes we read and we get through and we're like, man, I really just didn't understand that. Like this talking about this Galilee place and the Judea and this, I don't know, Bethany place and this John the Baptist guy. Like this is just confusing. I'm not going to read this anymore. And we quit. Here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to get into God's word and to study God's word. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 4.12 tells us is living an act of sharpening a two-edged sword. We talked about it a couple weeks ago when this is war series on the armor of God. I mean, this is the sword of the spirit. Remember, we had the guys come in from medieval times and they're doing all the fighting and all this kind of stuff. And I pulled out a little pocket knife and I said, this is how most of us go to battle. And some of you guys are dealing with things in your life that you're never going to get victory over until you get into the word of God. Until you understand God's formula for helping you through that in your life. So I want to challenge you guys, man. Get in God's Word. Study God's Word. Know God's Word. Have a hunger for God's Word. Man, I have a hunger for God's Word. I want to know it. I want to memorize it. I want to hide it in my heart that I might not sin against God, as David tells us in the Scriptures in Psalm 119. He says, God, I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, I want to know your Word. I want to meditate on your precepts. I want to meditate on the law of the Lord. I want to know everything that I can to know about the Word because the more I know about the Word here, the more I'm going to know about God because this is God's revelation to us about who He is. And if you want to know God, this is where it starts. This is where it starts. So I want to pray for you guys, and I want to challenge you to get in God's Word. I want to challenge you to take this piece of paper and use this as a guide. If you've never studied the Bible before, you've never read the Bible before, let me just even go a step further. You don't have a Bible. Man, I want to encourage you, grab a Bible on the way out tonight as a free gift from us. We will give you a Bible. It's yours. Merry Christmas. Christmas early. If you do have a Bible and you've never read it before, listen, start in the book of John. Start in the book of John. The first 14 verses may be confusing for you. Let me just go ahead and break it down for you. Basically what it's saying is, is that Jesus is God. And then it goes from there. And read it and study it and begin to read the book of John. If you've read the book of John or maybe you're here and you've read through the Bible before. You've read it all and, you know, and you're reading through it again and that kind of stuff. And, and that's awesome. That's great. But keep reading through it. And maybe this time, don't just read it for bulk, but go in there and read it for, for to try to learn something from it and figure out how you can apply it to your life and really dig deep in there. And for some of you, going and sitting down and reading like two or three chapters just ain't going to happen. Let's just be honest. How about going and sitting down and reading like a little section and just say, God, speak to me in this section. It's important to get the context because this is what we do. A lot of times we read a verse of scripture and we do this sometimes even in small group settings and stuff like this. And we say, what does that mean to you? And that can be deceiving because... The text means something. And so I say, well, I think it means this. And you say, well, I think it means this. 
And you say, well, I think it means this. And you say, well, I think it means this. Oh, look at that. Isn't God cool? He just showed us all different things through his word. Listen, God can do that. And sometimes God speaks to us in different areas of our life through one verse of scripture. But here's the reality. When this scripture was penned down and written down, there's a context behind it. And there's an understanding about it. And there's a truth to it. And you need to learn how to study it in order to get to that truth so that you can change your life. I want to encourage you guys and challenge you with that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that you would raise up students in this room that would be hungry for your word. That they would learn how to get to the context. That they would learn how to study. That they would, they would see the importance of studying your word and see the importance of getting back to, to just the context of everything that's going on. God, I know there may be some students that are here tonight, Lord, and this is their first time here, or maybe, maybe this is their first time in a church ever. Maybe this is the first time they've ever even heard any of this kind of stuff before, and maybe it's confusing to them or whatever. But, God, I just pray that tonight you would just help them feel at home here and that they would enjoy their time here. God, I pray that you would just speak in their hearts because we know that your word is truth. God, I just pray that you would uh, be with us tonight, be with the band as we, we close out with a worship song and we kind of go into some fun stuff afterwards tonight. Keep us all safe, guide us and lead us in our lives. God, as we step out of this week in this summer, and Lord, we know all the traps that summer has laid out before us. And even as we step out of the story of John the Baptist into Matthew chapter 4 and see the enemy stepping in and tempting Jesus. God, we know that the enemy will step in and tempt us the moment we walk out of this building tonight. God, I just ask, Lord, that you put your protection around us. God, that we would, we would put on our armor of God and we would be prepared for battle and know what you have in store for us. God, move in our hearts. Change us by the power of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.